we know practically in our own lives we're not holy ones. Anyone here perfect yet? So it's, but by using this term saint or holy one, is not talking about our practical life, we do continue to sin. This is a theological term. This is recognizing that we have been justified. That is, that we have been declared holy by God. So that when He looks down from heaven to you, He sees you covered in the blood of Christ, all your sins gone. He sees you as perfect before Him. Right now. Right now. It's not that you will be perfect when you get there. When He sees you right now, He sees you as holy. He has declared you to be so. In His eyes, you're counted as holy. So you are a saint in that regard. Now, it would be good for us to reflect on that. That we are called saints and we are called to be holy. God says, be ye holy as I am holy. And that's the standard he sets before us. We're not only saints, but we are saints in Christ. Only those who are in Christ are saints. And all of those who are in Christ are saints. In fact, we are saints because we are in Christ. That, that is the, the sphere of our holiness. Being in Christ is what makes us saints. That reality is unique to Christianity among all the religions of the world. The rest of the religions of the world follow the teachings of their founder, but none of them in any way would think that they are united to the founder, that they're connected to the founder. It's unique in Christianity that we are part of Christ, that we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us. That we have this unique spiritual union with Christ forever and that nothing can ever separate us from that. We not only follow His teachings, we are united to Him for eternity. Verse 19, as we saw last week, says, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the source of every spiritual blessing. I didn't count them, but there are numerous times here in the book of Philippians that everything Paul says is related to being in Christ. We rejoice in Christ and so forth. It's all because we are in Him. Our life is hidden with, with God in Christ, Colossians 3 says. Romans 8 says that nothing can separate us from His love, being in Him. And Paul's closing words here to these Philippians and to us is that remember who you are because of His grace. You are holy ones in Christ Jesus. So, remember who you are. And remember whose you are. You belong to Him. You are a holy one 
in his eyes. And this serves as a strong encouragement to us, not to make us prideful, but to make us watchful. That is, you are holy in Christ, therefore live like it. Live up to it. Thirdly, as our shared family, we are together in Christ. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are Caesar's household. We are together in Christ. The brethren who are with me greet you. Brethren was the preferred term in the New Testament to talk about fellow believers. It's the term most often used to talk about being brothers and sisters in Christ. The brethren. Um, Just like when we use the term Mennonite brethren, we also mean Mennonite cistern, right? So the word brethren here means both male and female. One of the ways we we can see that clearly is like in... uh, the book of Romans, chapter 16, where Paul is greeting the church at Rome. He's writing from Rome right now to the Philippians, but when he was writing to the church at Rome, he greeted the brethren and he listed a number of females in that that list of the brethren. So he, he means both men and women believers in this. So the brethren, meaning the brothers and sisters in Christ who are with me, greet you. Um, and brethren is a, a fitting term for believers because it reminds us of our, our family reunion. We all have the same father. God is our father. And you are his son or his daughter. And because you're his son or his daughter, and I'm his son, that makes us brothers and sisters Forever. We are forever family. And that's the idea that Paul is talking about here. The the brothers and sisters who are with me greet you. These are people they had never met. They may never meet, but they are connected. They are family. They live in Rome, but they're your family. In fact, they're your family too. You realize this? The people he's talking about here, the brethren who are with me in Rome, they're your family. One day in heaven, you're going to get to meet them. It's going to take a long, long time, but hey, you've got eternity. And we're going to meet brothers and sisters from all over the world, from all time, and as one huge family. We are already family with all those people in Christ right now. So it's, it's a great reminder to us that we're a family. And even though Sherry and I are leaving here, we're still, in a sense, part of your family. And you are part of ours. So, Paul lists three categories of those involved in the greeting. The word, wait, it's an interesting word here for greet. The brethren who are with me greet you, all the saints greet you, and so forth. That word greet, greet, means literally 
to draw to oneself. Not just greet the way we think of greet. When we say, I'm going to greet someone, we're going to say hi to them. Maybe ask, how are you doing or something? But that's pretty much it, right? You greet someone. You say hi to them. But this is talking about a, a different level of greeting. You draw, one, draw to yourself. You're drawing them close to you. In fact, the early church used to uh, hug one another and kiss one another. Uh, Paul says elsewhere, greet one another with a holy kiss. And it, you know, we've kind of gotten away from doing that. And part of it's for propriety's sake, I think. But still, the idea is that the closeness that we share. Draw to oneself. Greet one another. We're we're intimate together. We are family together. We love one another and we should demonstrate that. So he says the three categories are the brethren who are with me. By this he means his close fellow workers. We know that Timothy was with him, so he's included in that. Probably Tychicus was there as well as Aristarchus. But also Mark and Luke would have been in Rome at this time. So the brethren who are with me are, are those, that group of people. Says they, they greet you. But he expands it now, secondly, to all the saints, the, the larger body of believers in the church of Rome, the, the brothers and sisters that comprise the church of Rome, all the saints in Rome greet you. This is, this is like one church family greeting another church family. The church family of Rome greeting the church family at Philippi. Because ultimately, we are the same family. And then he says, especially those who are of Caesar's household. And this is a surprising thing because Paul's locked up in Rome. He's got someone chained to him 24 hours, and they, they change shifts three times a day. Who's going to be chained to Paul today? <clears throat> and of Caesar's, the emperor's household, there are a number of people who have come to know Christ. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean blood relatives of Caesar. It may have been, but probably would have included household servants and the like. But look back at uh, chapter 1, verse uh, 12 and 13. So chapter 1, verse 12 says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to, to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Even the palace guard are coming to Christ. And so, at the end of the book, Paul is remembering them, and he says, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The palace guard, even those in Caesar's household, those who you would have never thought would have come to faith, they greet you. And so we, we share together as a family in Christ and things for eternity. So we have a shared goal, 
the glory of God. We have a shared status. We are saints in Christ. We have, we have a shared family. We are together in Christ. <clears throat> and then finally, we have a shared hope. That is the grace of our Lord. Verse 23. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you or be with your spirit. Amen. The shared hope is the grace of our Lord. Our hope is in the Lord and his grace toward us. Romans 5 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so our shared hope is the grace of our Lord. We have hope as an anchor to our souls because of the unremitting grace of God. As believers, we're not only saved by grace, we are sustained by grace. We are governed by grace. We are guided by grace. We are sanctified by grace. We are kept by grace. We're enabled by grace. This is true of every one of us as believers. Our shared hope for the future is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ because He is never going to leave you or forsake you. He is going to continue that work in you until that final day. And it's all about Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. It always has been. It always will be. Wherever we go, whatever we do, whether we live or whether we die, it's all about Him. So much so that Paul could say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. May we be able to say the same thing. So we have a shared hope for the future by the, the grace of our Lord. Now the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. And now, just personally and briefly, in closing, I want to echo what Paul has said because all these things speak my heart to you as a church as well. The shared goal of our lives and our ministry is ultimately the glory of God. And I would just encourage you to keep that goal. Keep it as your highest priority, the glory of God. No matter what we do, it's all to the glory of God. Measure everything by it. Secondly, the shared status we enjoy as being saints together in Christ Jesus. I encourage you to remember who you are in Christ. It's both a call and a comfort. To remember who you are in Christ. It's a comfort because nothing will ever change it. You will always be a saint in Christ Jesus. If you're a believer. But it's also a call that is to live up to that. Therefore, live like it. 
when I compare my life to the call to be holy, I see areas that are very disconcerting to me. Um, I see the, my, the own sinfulness of my own heart that needs to be worked on. And so, this is a, this is a reminder that I am called to be a saint. I am called a saint and called to become a saint, to be like, to live like one. And that is, that's a challenge for me. It's a challenge for you as well. Thirdly, the shared family we have. We will always treasure the fact that we are family with you. Uh, Sherry and I hope to sneak back here sometime in the future and just visit with you as a a family again sometime. Uh, I know that we'll never forget you. We treasure you. And then finally, the shared hope that we have. It's all bound up in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have a hope for the future by God's grace. And as Sherry and I leave here, we leave with a great hope for your future, all by God's grace. I remember when I first got here 18 months ago, the first thing I I did was start meeting with people and doing interviews, uh, just hearing from people what what you thought was going on in the church, what had happened, what the needs were, that sort of thing. And uh, a number of you may remember that. Altogether, I, I interviewed 82 people. And when I asked them, or when I asked you, if you were one of those, to describe the condition of the church 18 months ago, words I heard over and over again were these kinds of statements. We're confused, we're sad, we're disappointed, we feel rejected, we're lost, we are without direction, we're drifting, we have no hope. When I think about you today, I don't hear anything like that. I don't see anything like that. This is a very different church from 18 months ago. God has done, I think, a marvelous work among you. God has brought you from that time to a time of you're excited about the future. You have a great vision that the transition team and elders have put together. You have a vision for the future. You have a tremendous pastor that's coming. Let me tell you, you have one in a thousand pastors. I don't know if you appreciate how great God has blessed you with uh, Asher and Brooke. Uh, you, you have so many things going for you. And I'm excited about what God has next for you. Just so looking forward to the next steps. I know God is going to truly bless. And I want to hear reports about that so we can praise the Lord along with you. Will you join me in prayer now as we close? Lord, we thank you for this final passage in 
this marvelous book of Philippians. And as Paul shares his heart with the church of Philippi in closing, just a tremendous reminder to us of the things that we share in common as believers. We thank you, Lord, because you have blessed us with all those things that, that we share, the, the, the goal of glorifying you, the, the status that we have of actually being holy ones in Christ Jesus, the sharing together as a family forever and, and sharing the hope that we have because of your great grace in our lives. Lord, I praise you for what you've done in this church. You have been so, so good and gracious. Thank you for the future that you have for this church. And Lord, I know that you are going to continue to, to work and bless and guide to, to use this church body to bring much glory and praise to you. And I thank you so much for that. And, and finally, Lord, I thank you for just the blessing, the privilege, the honor of being a part of this church family for this, these last 18 months. I just lift them up to you, praise you, thank you for them, Lord, and commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen.